Welcome to episode 33 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your master of ceremonies for this week. My name is Marcelo Nestroza, joined as always by the best Canadian on the planet, Matt Crandall. And on this edition of the show, we will we'll be discussing Lost Season 1, Episodes 18 through 20. So with that out of the way and done, the first episode up today that we're going to discuss is episode 18 entitled Numbers. So Numbers is one of my favorite episodes of the first season. It is the only Hurley-centric flashback episode. And as I've been mentioning, as they've been dropping those breadcrumbs of, you know, Walt saying like, Hurley owes me $83,000 and Hurley being like, don't worry, kid, you'll get it. Um, I, I love that this one adds so much humor, uh, in the tragedy of Hurley's backstory, which is that he played the lottery using these mysterious numbers that have become super iconic in pop culture and wins the jackpot and as soon as he's giving his first press conference about what he's going to do with the money, his grandfather keels over dead and it's a string of horrible accidents and bad luck that follows him after that. And I just love the, you know, kind of dramatic irony of like, here's a guy who totally deserved to win the lottery. And it's everybody's, you know, dream. Like you, if you ever play the lottery, you're like, as soon as you buy that ticket, you're convinced it's going to be the winner. And in your mind, you start racking up what you're going to spend the money on. And this guy basically has every person's dream happen to him, but it's in exchange for the worst string of bad luck anybody's ever seen. And I thought that just the way that they play it and Jorge Garcia being such a likable guy um, and Hurley being like this kind of, you know, jovial, like happy-go-lucky guy to see him in these situations, it really um, tugs at your heartstrings, but also is just super funny and entertaining. So this backstory, and especially this episode, when we see all these horrible things continue to happen, when he's trying to do good by his family with this money, um, I just love it. I, like you, love the comedy bent to this episode. I mean, uh, to to go back to one of your points, when he first wins the lotto and he does that press conference outside of his house, like you said, his, you know, grandfather keels over when he when he tries to, you know, show off a new house to his mother. She breaks her ankle trying to get hop on, hop on the curb. Thing that I particularly loved is when he tries to invest his money into uh, certain companies in and around the U.S. And one of the companies that he invests that that he puts his money into and he becomes the majority shareholder of is a box company. And I just love that little tip of the cap there to the fans or to the fans that have been paying attention, because the second his lawyer says oh, you're the majority shareholder in this box company. We instantly know what box company he's talking about. 100%. Yeah, John, the one where John Locke worked, which is so awesome. I love, like I said, anytime they crisscross the backstories at all, I love it. Another sort of funny but not good moment is when he sits down 
in, in that same scene is when he sits down with the lawyer and he and he's trying to explain to the lawyer what he thinks the numbers are and the lawyer saying they're just numbers you know mm-hmm. what's what's special about a bunch of numbers and they're in the middle of the conversation and all of a sudden outside the window you see some poor soul just jump to his death <laughs> yeah Hilar- that that's one of those hilarious things man i absolutely love that moment i really liked the the way that Hurley's distrust of the numbers gave us a different side of him. I mean, he basically goes on a quest this entire episode to find out, uh, uh, to, to, to find Russo. And to see him take a more assertive uh, tone with everybody was, uh, it was, it was shocking because like you said, Hurley has always been the happy-go-lucky guy. We haven't seen Hurley, we haven't seen Hurley, or Hugo, uh, really assert himself in, uh, until this episode. So I really enjoyed that aspect of this episode. And when Hurley comes upon Russo, I really like his sort of madcap approach to handling her. Mm-hmm. Because because at first, when, when they first meet up in the jungle, um, she's going to shoot him. And she, he, he basically panics and, she says, and he says, I know Saeed, Right. And, right. and, you know, and when he when he actually shows her the piece of paper that he stole from Saeed and, and he goes, listen, I don't want anything. I just want somebody to somebody to to tell me that they believe me, that these not that there is something wrong with these numbers, because all throughout the flashbacks, we were we were told again and again and again by um, characters who weren't Hurley that these numbers mean nothing. In one instance, Hurley's mother said, you know, uh, we're Catholic. We don't believe in, in curses. <laughs> we don't believe in curses. Which, which, as a, which, as a Catholic individual, I say bullshit. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I totally believe in curses. So I, I, I can't subscribe to what Hurley's mother was trying to convince her son of, but I, I just thought that this episode was so well done and it was finally wonderful to have a Hurley story. Yeah, having that Hurley story that we've waited for was really fulfilling. And I did like where we find out how he got the numbers. And that's a great scene where he's going to visit this guy in this home who is basically catatonic. And as soon as Hurley tells him, like, I use the numbers to play the lottery. The guy snaps out of it. And it's like, dude, what did you do? Why would you do that? And so that's like such a crazy, like, oh my God, what happened here moment um, that that it caught us by surprise. And then when he goes to Australia and that woman runs down all of the things that happened to her husband and Hurley is saying these numbers have to be cursed. Like, and she says, no, like, I don't buy that. It's just circumstances. Shit happens. It's basically what she says has nothing to do with these numbers. And that is not the answer that Hurley is looking for because he can't accept that all of this bad stuff would have happened to him. Had he not had this great windfall of cash. And so that moment in the on the island with Russo where 
she says she doesn't know what the numbers are, but she does agree that the numbers are cursed. And he just breaks down and he says, thank you. Like this, like I just needed someone to validate that this is a valid viewpoint. And had I not done this thing, my life wouldn't be a series of catastrophe after catastrophe. Because thinking that you could just have inherent bad luck for no reason, I think is more depressing than thinking that there was something you did that caused this string of bad luck. And that's really relatable and interesting for them to have played it that way. Because I don't necessarily know that you know, a lot of people that would be their first instinct to just feel relief to have someone agree with you that these numbers are cursed and that the minute you played the lottery, your life was downhill from there. But to Hurley, that is the big relief. And I thought that was a nice spin on it. It humanized Hurley more um, after the episode was so funny. It's one of those like dramatic exhales that we kind of needed. The other thing I love about this episode, especially knowing where the next two episodes are going to go, we spend other time on the island with John Locke and Claire, and Locke is trying to get Claire's mind sort of at ease, relaxed, knowing that she has this horrible ordeal of giving birth on the island coming up. And so he asks for her help, and the whole time he's making something... And she doesn't know what it is. And the final reveal where he shows her that it's a cradle. And, you know, he says, happy birthday. It's a birthday gift because it actually turned out to be Claire's birthday. Was a really nice, sweet moment that shows Locke in general is a caring guy who does understand his environment. Because that's going to shift with the next episode. We're not going to feel that sort of love of John Locke. So that was a nice moment. And also for Claire to just have a moment of calm where she actually was useful and didn't feel like a burden and didn't feel like she needed to be saved or rescued was nice. It was just a, a quiet sequence that really added a lot of depth to both of those characters. I definitely agree with that. But to, to me, Matt, I don't um, Claire hasn't felt useless to me the way Shannon has. But, you know, that could just be my hormones talking because you know how much I love a, a, a blonde girl with, a, with an accent. I thought this episode was some really calm, uh, gentle seas before we really get into the meat of the next two episodes. We move on to episode number 19 entitled De Ex Machina or Machina. So this one is written by the heavy hitters. Cuse and Lindelof. And it is a lock episode. And again, you know, the last the last two weeks, I've been kind of lukewarm on the episodes. And um, I was starting to think, like, I didn't remember there being any episodes I didn't love of Lost Season 1. But those last two podcasts we did, I was like, yeah, I don't really love these ones. Again, this is another one that, like, I absolutely love this episode. Uh, amazing episode. Showing Locke. And his ordeal with his struggle for acceptance in his own life, discovering his birth parents in a really weird situation, 
and then basically getting duped in the most depressing, upsetting way possible, um, which really added like so much depth and pain to Locke. Uh, in, in addition to his struggles on the island in the present time, where he's starting to lose the ability to walk properly, which of course is an instant nightmare for him because he thinks he might, the island might be taking away this gift that he thinks it was bestowed upon him, which was a really interesting dynamic. But just the flashback story um, is one of the best ones Lost has done, I think. I found this episode to be absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, those of you who know, who have been listening to the podcast, know uh, know know for a fact that I don't like uh, parents who 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 uh, jolt away from responsibility. And to see Locke basically be caught in his own mousetrap was was really really dep- was really heartbreaking and really disturbing. It's this episode that we really find out how Locke sort of uh, got a love for the outdoors and, and became a uh, a connoisseur of you know uh, going on walkabouts and and um, and nature excursions. At least that's what I thought. Uh, this episode sort of introduced. I don't know if he had that before he met his biological father or. That whole ordeal with his biological father spurred him on to wanting to prove himself more to other people around him. I think you're right. I think it is this ordeal with his bio dad that does create that drive in him and that embrace of nature. Because even when he first meets his dad in this, and he says, do you hunt? And he's like, I don't hunt. Like, I sure, I, I would think about it, but like, no, I've never... I don't hunt. Um, so seeing them outdoors does plant those seeds that, you know, could lead Locke to wanting to do that walkabout that we saw in the previous Locke episode. So I did like that they lay the groundwork there. Um, I also think it's inc- it's incredible that the Locke that we've seen on the island, you know, Terry O'Quinn is, is so good that this episode, the acting is just so great and he does break your heart and it's so sad. Um, But at the beginning, like you slap that wig on Terry O'Quinn and Locke just becomes this pathetic loser instantly because of this hair that he has. And he's working at like a Costco kind of place. And you're just like, look at this guy, like what has gone wrong in this dude's life? Uh, And then we see more of like what has gone wrong in this dude's life. And I, I just think it, it shows sort of, you know, Terry O'Quinn's versatility that on the island, this is not the lock that we know at all compared to the lock of the past. And, you know, credit to the the team. Like I said, that putting that hair on him, that's not even like a glamorous hairstyle or anything. It's like just like this guy who who's barely putting in the effort. You know what I mean? Um, so perfect choice because it really made him seem small and pathetic compared to the lock that we have gotten to know. I would agree with that 100%. As a matter of fact, he looked mousy throughout throughout the entire and, flashbacks. And I think you're that's a great point because he's introduced in the flashback talking about mousetrap, the game. <laughs> and how even the island 
feels like a Rube Goldberg device of like all these different things that are happening and we don't know what the final, you know, mousetrap result is yet. The thing that I love, uh, one particular part of the flashbacks is when Locke's, mo- Locke's mother sort of tells him that he was immaculately conceived, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of introduces where Locke got his got his holder-than-thou stance, right? Mm-hmm. Because Locke on the island, since we've met him, he's had this aura of being special and being just a cut above the rest. Right. And I would imagine if Locke landed on the island and the powers of the island didn't get him out of that chair, do you think that he would that he would still feel that power, cut above the rest power that he has now that he, uh, um, if he was still in the chair? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think part of it is he thinks that there has been some sort of miracle and like divine intervention specifically on him and his ability. So like, I, I think you are, you're on a good path here where I don't think he would have that same complex if that hadn't happened. I don't, I don't mean to state the obvious here, but you think the, the fact that the Island, the Island's ability to take him out of the chair gave him that holy complex, so to speak a bit. And you know, this is planting the seeds of it where like, you know, he's now the Island has reframed everything because he thinks something miraculous has happened to him on the Island but also, as this series goes on, like, John Locke thinks he was chosen to do this. Like, this is his destiny to be on this island, to open the hatch. Like, all these things, he doesn't think it's just random chance or, like, anybody could have done it. He thinks it is, you know, his purpose. So I do think, you know, even later in that episode where it's kind of revealed that the immaculate conception was part of this deception to make him want to donate the kidney or whatever it was to his dad. I do think that that does plant those seeds of here's a guy who feels like he has a meaningless purposeless life and it's adding some sort of divine purpose and meaning to something that he hasn't had. So especially when he gets out of that wheelchair, he does feel it is a, like, yeah, like a power bestowed upon him, like some holy thing has intervened and said, like, you are the one. Rise. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, Locke hasn't had that conversation with with somebody who says, you know, it's not about you. When you watched this series for the first time, what did you, th- like, like, did you think that Locke was a cut above the rest or do you think he was nuts, basically? At this point in the series, I still thought maybe he was like a cut above the rest. I think as the show goes on, and especially after this run of episodes, they start to paint a different side of John Locke that we haven't seen. Which is, you know, even in this one, where Boone goes up in the plane and gets injured severely... And Locke literally drops him off and is like, peace out. <laughs> and he makes his way to the 
the hatch where he has his breakdown, up until that point, we haven't seen Lost Locke do anything kind of like, you know, evil or over overtly selfish. But dropping Boone off and just being like, peace out and disappearing is so uncharacteristic of what we had come to know him as so far that it starts to turn where he's, he's becoming a, a bit of a, you know, this power is maybe going to his head and because he thinks he's so special, he's not realizing what a good person would actually do in a situation like that. I didn't think about that. That's a, that's a well thought out, marvelous point. Um, <laughs> it is. No, I'm not kidding. It is. To move in a different direction with this episode, I really like the fact that the lighter side of this episode had uh, James looking for a pair of glasses because he was starting to get headaches when he was reading. That was amazing. And <laughs> to have Jack put Sawyer in his place right in front of Kate was kind of a dick move, but at this point in the show, like, Sawyer totally deserved it. So I love when Jack is asking him the questions, like, uh, so have you ever slept with a prostitute? And all this stuff. And then at a certain point, Sawyer realizes Jack's messing with him. Um, but that was good. And, and it shows that, you know, Jack knows what he's doing when it comes to this medical stuff, and he is willing to help the people, even people who are such dicks like Sawyer. Um, but just the way that he was like, I, I know how I can help this guy, but I'm going to make him suffer a little bit first because he's been such a jackass was, was hilarious. Mm-hmm. No, no, that, that whole, that whole, uh, uh, B story really, uh, took, uh, uh, gave us a much needed break from the seriousness of this episode, I thought. And, and, and it was just a great choice by uh damon and carlton to do that as a matter of fact this is the first episode that they ever wrote together for lost if i'm not mistaken you are correct yep this is their first team up first of many that would end up happening over the series and i love the last episode ended where we saw a shot of the hatch and we saw that etched into the side of the hatch was 4 18 15 16 23 42 and then this episode ends with Locke banging on the hatch, having his breakdown, you know, screaming, and all of a sudden a light turns on, and then we cut to Lost. And um, the ending of both of these episodes being hatch centric, um, and also like just jaw dropping, like oh shit moments, are the stuff that Locke, that Lost does the best. So I love when an episode ends on like a mind blowing like. Uh, and these last two episodes both did that. Uh, with this episode and the one that we're going to talk about in a minute here, do you think that it's that that this is a turning point when Law sort of dug its own grave for 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 the for, uh, as far as the mystery of the whole thing is concerned, or do you think that came uh, much later? I think it came later, to be honest with you, only because this is where they certainly are definitely playing up the mystery elements, but. The hatch in specific that has been building and building pays off in a good way in season two. Um, it's mostly, you know, the mystery stuff that I don't love the payoff for involves a lot of the Jacob, Ben, 
sort of stuff that that swings too big and lays too much groundwork that doesn't pay off. Here they're definitely swinging for the fences, but I feel this stuff still pays off pretty well um, next year. It's only as they keep layering on too much stuff that the fans just really read way too much into. Mm-hmm. And I was one of them. I was definitely on message boards, um, you know, in season two onward, taking screenshots and posting shit. So we'll definitely get into more of that as we go. But I still think they're in like, you know, they're, they haven't started to dig the grave yet, I don't think. Let's move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week. Episode 19. It's the Physician's Creedy. Do no harm. This is another really, really good episode. Um, having another Jack episode really kind of establishes that, you know, Jack, as much as Lost is kind of like an ensemble, Jack is kind of the star and the heart of the show. Um, because even in this first season, like he got the most episodes in terms of flashbacks. So he is like the audience conduit to everything that's going on. And I, I love that this one, when we start the flashbacks and we see him and his buddy getting fitted for tuxedos, it's such a swerve when we find out that it's Jack who's getting married because to this point we haven't gotten any information that there was anyone special in his life. And then meeting Sarah, who's played by, one of my all-time crushes, Julie Bowen, who I absolutely just love, um, you know, pre-modern family here before she really broke out as a huge star. But she had done lots of great work leading up to this um, on lots of good shows like Boston Legal and Dawson's Creek for a little bit. Uh, and I just, anytime she would pop up on stuff, I always loved her. But this show was where she really, um, you know, got to shine in this limited role of Sarah, who... We find out that Jack saved her and then they fell in love and now they're about to get married. And Jack is kind of unsure if he's doing the right thing. Um, And I love how that all plays out through the flashbacks and Fox kills it in that wedding scene where, you know, he calls up some of the most emotion we've seen Jack Shepard reveal so far in the series And all of that juxtaposed with the burden of Jack trying to save Boone's life on the island without the resources he would need in a situation that even if he had all the resources, there's a good chance nobody could have saved Boone anyway. Um, It was really nice. I, I liked it. It was emotional. It was distressing in like the best ways, though. This episode to me was distressing, emotional, damaging, simply because in this episode, uh, since day one, when we met Jack, he's sort of been known as a miracle worker, right? There's nothing Mm -hmm. that up until this episode, there was nothing that Jack Shepard couldn't fix, right? And I love, yeah, I love how this episode gives Jack a pause and says, Jack, you're special, but you know, uh, as a physician, you, you have to reach a point to, to where you can't save all of your patients. And like you said, Matt, 
Boone, even if he was in a, a, a standard hospital, you know, he had internal bleeding. He had cu- a crush syndrome. There was no, like, there was a very low chance that Boone was going to survive his injuries. My favorite scene from this episode is that scene by the pool where we see um, Christian Shepard really be a kind father to Jack for the first time in their relationship. And he says to Jack, you are a brilliant man, Jack. You're loyal, you're, you're kind, but you don't know when to let go. But then he turns halfway around and he says, you have to do right by this specific person. In this specific episode, that person is Sarah. You could see that Jack doesn't really love Sarah. He's just kind of doing this because he feels an obligation to do so because he saved your life. I just love seeing that internal battle that Jack goes through both in the flashbacks and on the island. It's a nice balance. And it also, you know, adds this other layer to Jack where we see that, you know, saving people, he becomes attached to them in a way that, you know, his father says, you know, you've always been good at doing this, but you just can't let go. You got to learn to let go. And that is what causes the issues with him and Sarah. And, you know, even when he's done his best and he's saved people, he carries that emotional weight with him always because he can't let go. And I thought that was really interesting and adds so much to Jack. And of course, this show, like I, I sometimes hate when shows do this, um, but on Lost, it was fine. Often... You know, it's become a TV trope where a main character dies in the same episode that another character gives birth to a baby. (laughs) Like, it's literally like I couldn't even you even this TV season. There's been like six shows that main character dies and someone else gives birth. And it's this life and death balance. But Lost handled it really well, where Claire does finally go into labor. And because Jack can't come because he's trying to save Boone even when it is basically, you know, a foregone conclusion that it's kind of a lost cause. He can't let it go. But I love when, you know, Charlie and them run over to the the place where Claire's giving birth. And he's like, like, Kate, you got to do this. Jack's not coming. And they're like, what do you mean Jack's not coming? Jack's the guy who, when you need Jack, Jack's there. So this is the first time where Jack has made this decision. Like, you know, I got to try and save this guy. And even if I let down this other group of people, I can't let this go. And I thought that was really interesting. I really like the juxtaposition that this episode gave us. Like, like, like you already said, Matt, where, where, where something awful was happening with Boone, but something marvelous was happening, was happening with Claire. I really love the fact that we really saw uh, Kate step up in this episode and after Charlie told her that she would have to deliver this baby, the 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 sort of speech that she gives Claire, because Claire freaks out when she finds out that Jack isn't coming, and the speech mm-hmm. that she gives, uh, the, the, the talking to that Kate gives Claire is just wonderful. She goes, honey, I can't do this without you. I'm going to need you to push now. So that, right. that entire scene was just wonderful. 
And it really gave me a smile on my face. I mean, granted, I know what's going to happen to this kid and I know where it's going to end. But despite that, I, I thought that was a wonderful scene. And the nice touch was uh, as Claire was giving birth, you, you, uh, you constantly saw Charlie wanting to get up and wanting to come over there and look. But of course, Jin being the gentleman, he was like, dude, just step back for a second. It was really heartbreaking to me that Shannon didn't get that final goodbye with his with uh, with Boom. That is one of those things that really kills you, especially because those previous episodes where Shannon's now trying to start her new life, and like look what she gets as a reward for trying to start this new life. Something horrible happens, and those final moments were awesome. Where it's just there's no dialogue. So for almost five minutes, you know, we see uh, Claire with the baby and we got the music going and we see Jack exhausted um, from this whole ordeal. And then Jack sees Saeed and Shannon walking and has to go over and break the news. And rather than have it be, you know, some sort of scene where we see him break the news they did like a, a nice long shot and we see Shannon stumble a bit. Um, part of that, I think worked better than they, if they had done dialogue because the dialogue would have felt forced and I don't want to get in trouble here, but Maggie Grace, I don't know that she could have pulled it off, pulled it off the reaction in a tight close up. Um, I like her, but in terms of the heavy hitters on Lost, she is not one of them. I like that that choice that literally almost those last five minutes, there's like no dialogue mm -hmm. almost. Um, and that was really nice and a, a nice way to do it. And I also appreciated that when Claire does have the baby, they actually got like a very newborn looking baby. Cause I, another TV trope, just because it's easier to work with like a four month old baby than it is. Anyone that's like a week old, 90% of shows, somebody gives birth and they hand over this gigantic baby. Uh, so I like that this was actually like a fairly new, really young looking baby. Cause it didn't pull you out and remind you that you were watching a TV show, which 90% of TV shows do. When Kate pulled out the baby, she, uh, or it still had the, the, the cord on mm -hmm. the, it's, it nice still touch. had, yeah, it still had his it was, cord. On. It was gross. Yeah, yeah, it was it was gross, but I was, but you know, for a second I was like, how the hell are they going to cut the cord? They don't have like utensils, right? So how the hell are they going to do this? What what, what is she going to wobble back to the camp and then cut the cord? <laughs> They're going to go use that thing that Jack was going to use to amputate Boone's leg. <laughs> They're going to chop it, but I I'm glad that we didn't have to see it because. Um, yeah, I was even thinking, like, are they looking for a sharp rock right now? What's happening? But I didn't want to know. Speaking of what Jack was going to do to Boone, I mean, I mean, what he the first time I watched the show, I was like, no, he is not gonna. Oh shit, he's gonna, he's gonna do it. I'm like, when and and then when he didn't do it, my my grandmother and I took a big sigh of relief. Oh, thank God, because that would <laughs> it was going to be a saw moment. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like, you, is Jigsaw lurking in the forest? Like, what is <laughs> happening here? Yeah, actually, if he would have done that, I th I think that would have broken my grandfather, uh, my grandmother, and me because we mm. were uh, at this point when we were watching the episode for the first time, we were in tears. 
and you know, and then, like you mentioned, um, they made a fantific- they made a magnificent magnificent decision in editorial to have the last couple seconds of this episode just be in complete silence. And to sort of defend you, Matt, I don't think anybody's going to give you shit for saying that Maggie Grace isn't the best thespian, best thespian out there. I thought that this was a wonderful episode. And if I just could, for just one second before we wrap up here, I thought Ian, some, Ian, some, Ian, some, I uh, can't say his last name, Summerholder, uh, yeah. was fantastic. I, I, I don't think that he's been, uh, I don't think that he ever was better than in this particular episode. I thought he was really good too. And especially in those moments where, you know, Jack is starting to get off ready to do this amputation and stuff. And Boone basically tells him like, nah, guy, nah, guy I'm, I'm good. Uh, you can't save me. Um, it's, it's fine. Like I know, <laughs> I know this is it. Just let me go. And heartbreaking that Shannon is not there in those final moments that literally his, he never gets to finish his final thought where he's like trying to give her the last, you know, the last words to Jack, like tell her I, I, and then he just goes and it's like, oh, yeah. like dude is always chasing after Shannon and never really gets that moment that he's been wanting. Um, and also it was kind of surprising when he died, this is, you know, the first major character to die on the show. Surprising in that there was only one Boone centric episode. So, you know, sometimes you would have thought if this was his swan song, maybe it would have been a Boone flashback episode and it wasn't. So that was really interesting. Um, and you know, a lot of people watching the show, Summerholder was kind of like one of the heartthrobs of the show. So for them to kill him off, it was like, oh man, he's one of the guys that has like the young ladies and probably some young men tuning into this thing. So that was surprising as well. I think by the show doing that, I think the show said, we're not, we're not fracking around. Yeah. No, nobody is safe here. Lost illustrates that um, the best. I mean, the only other show that I can think of that, you know, that, that has that creedy of, any any of our main cast can go. The other show that has that is one of the best shows ever, Game of Thrones. And if right. you and and if you've seen Game of Thrones, it's pretty clear that anybody in Game of Thrones can go at any time. So I think that this was one of my favorite uh, episodes of season one. I mean, it's it's a tie between this episode. And uh, um, the previous episode, I, I thought I thought that these two episodes were just fantastic. I was sure that you you would have loved the nod to Star Trek's McCoy when Christian says to Jack, "You're a doctor, not a writer." <laughs> totally had to be a Star Trek nod. I missed that. I, I was like, I gotta, I missed it. I totally missed it. You know, Jack's fretting over the, the vows. And his dad goes, you're a doctor, not a writer. And I was like, oh my gosh, total McCoyism. I think we have eight episodes left before we uh, say goodbye to season one. Is that right, man? Uh, five. The other thing I love was the end of this episode was another like lost, oh hell no moment where, you know, Kate's like, 
Jack Boone died. And Jack, all determined, starts marching and says, no, he was murdered. I'm going to go find John Locke. And it's like, oh, shit, it is on. Uh, so I love that. And these three episodes are three of my favorites. So this was actually, other than the start of the season, this was like the strongest run that we've talked about in total for me so far and reminded me exactly why I love lost. Cause like all of these episodes were just awesome. Um, and even, you know, some people who are disappointed with the way lost ended up when you watch episodes like this, it just reminds you why you love it so much. And even like numbers, you know, lost has affected pop culture so much that even on shows now, there are still shows that reference like the lost numbers. Um, so I, I just love that, you know, it's legacy has carried on. Uh, mm. most recently I'm thinking for anybody who hasn't ever checked out the show that just wrapped NBC superstore. There was a great episode where, uh, a guy comes in and he wants to buy a lottery ticket and he goes, yeah, I want to play four, eight, 15, 16, 23, 42. And the guy working is like, really, dude? The lost numbers? You want to play the lost numbers? And he shames the guy, and the guy doesn't buy the lottery ticket. And then at the end of the episode, uh, we see on TV that the winning lottery ticket was 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Oh. And the guy working the Superstore goes, oh, shoot, it was the lost numbers. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so I just love that, you know, the legacy of the show, especially from some of these early episodes, has carried on. And this run was amazing. To just add on to your point, I think that the people who were really disappointed with the way the show ended, I think that those people were were more wrapped up in the overall mystery of the show rather than the rather than the relationships and the characters that they went on the journey with. And for me, like I said previously, the show, for, for me at least, is not about the mystery of, oh my God, what the hell is this island? For me, the right. show is about, for me, the show is about the people on this island and the way that I felt for six seasons watching them go through their trials and tribulations. To use another, to use another Star Trek reference. Certainly, it is all about the emotional character journey, and uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. I think that uh, wraps it up for this edition of Radio 815. Again, this is episode number 33. But before we go, uh, just a little bit of a housekeeping here. Um, if you like the work that me and Matt do here at all, if you have any questions or comments about the show, you can, you can send them to us uh, simply by just hashtagging Radio 815 on Twitter, or uh, you can email us at... Um, Radio815 at AOL.com. So if you have any questions or whatever, just uh, you can reach out to you can reach out to us on those two platforms, Twitter and email. Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach you and talk to you about Lost, uh, what's the place what's the best place they can do that? Twitter is the best place at Matt Crandall. Yeah, uh, and if uh, you guys want to reach me, uh, the best place to do that is also on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But until next week, for my co-host, Matt Crandall, my name is Marcel Nostroza, 
And as I often say, we'll talk back soon.